Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender, the podcast about startup life and some other stuff. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> my name is Ucha. I'm here with my great co-host Hardik, and today our guest is Edilson from Brazil. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. And well, I'm prepared for hard questions. I know you have some some of them. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is this is actually not the first time we're doing interview with Edilson. We already have. Uh, published our article about his startup, Original My. You go ahead and go and check it out from our Medium publication. But yeah, for the people who don't know, tell us what's what. What who are you and what you're doing? Let's start with that. <laughs> well, well, I, I'm Edison. I'm CEO of Original My. I founded the I founded the company in 2015. Uh, in the very beginning, it was for preserving IT intellectual property. Then the platform started to grow because people demanded new things for authentication in the authentication field. Then we reduced the digital identity layer for validating people's identity, issuing a, a decentralized identity for them. Then with that identity, they can sign documents, they can authenticate themselves in other platforms, they can uh, they can do a lot of things because it's a, a, a decentralized identity blockchain based. So they can have the credentials start of their identity. You're like, if you are uh, some companies asking for your personal data, you will be aware about what personal data they are asking for. You will approve that because you're, you are the owner of your personal data. Then you will sign the data and send the data to the platform and everyone will be aware about what data, when, and for what company you deliver with a proof of consent. And we are in that, that field working right now on authentication, authenticating people, authenticating signatures, authorization, and documents. So you kind of build trust throughout the internet, right? Yeah, yeah, we are trying, to, we are really trying to build trust because on the internet, everyone can fake identity. Being anonymous is not a good thing. And uh, you need to prove yourself. And on the internet or digital way or digital things, you can fraud a lot of documents. You can fraud documents. You can fraud authentications. You can fraud systems. And what we are trying to do is building trust to authenticate everything. And in our case, we are not storing the data. I think the most important thing we are disrupting at, at this point, because on original mind, we are very serious about privacy and data protection. And we really believe your data belongs to you, not to us. And you must be in control of your data. And you must be aware where your data is being used or who has your data and what data they are storing with your consent. And a proof of consent, not just that kind of consent when you click on a box and okay, because we know Databases, you can go to the database and check the thing. And on our model, it's a digital signature. It's impossible to fraud this kind of thing. And we're trying to authenticate everything without having the data with us. That's the most important thing. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, thinking about this uh, platform, original, what were the challenges you 
Well, the identity, uh, talking about market opportunities, talking about market opportunities on, on digital identity or onboarding or validation identity. Um, to 2030, in like in 10 years, the market will be huge as 1.3 trillion dollars. So it will be a huge market in 10 years. And some big companies like McKinsey, they delivered some reports about this identity and the future of this identity and how it can help emerging countries like Brazil, some African countries and or third countries in general. And the forecast of the, the market for the digital identity. So the opportunity for digital identity is huge. And why? Because people are using more internet. And governments and institutions, they must prove for some something, they must prove who is the person behind the screen doing the digital web. And it, it's hard, sometimes it's hard. We have, like here in Spain, we have a very famous company named uh, Verif. They are validating, and they are the, the reference about validating identities over here. We are, we are not doing what they are doing. They are validating their identity. We are issuing the identity. We are doing the validation, but, but the validation is one part of our thing because we need to validate the identity to issue the identity. But it's not like the government who issues the smart card with your digital ID over there. Uh, the identity is issued with the person. We are uh, using a decentralized model for identity. We are changing uh, how the things are working. Like people just, firstly, they download the app, create the identity, and everything will be there. They can start using it. It's not a problem. But when they use the identity and try to send the data to some, some company, the, the company will receive the information, oh, this data is not validated yet because they sent the non-validated data. And what we are doing after is validating the data. We are the first validators and we are building a decentralized network of validators as well. Because we understand on another side, uh, besides the market, we, we understand we are not just one thing. We are a set of attributes. We are many things. We are the, 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 the company we work, the position we have in that company, uh, the college we studied, uh, the color of our eyes and our hair, uh, how high we are, and we are a set of attributes. And we believe very probably that someone very specialized in validating each attribute you have. Like the telecom is the best company to know what is your mobile number. The, your company knows the position you have over there. So decentralizing the validation, you, you have in the future on your identity a set of validated data provided by each piece where you worked or you, you live. And uh, we are not, today we are validating you as a person, like having doing background checks and trying to check your, uh, if everything about your document is okay, if your document is valid and everything is okay. But in the future, we know like the borders, who issues your, your passport or your ID, they can uh, put that on your identity together. 
like the credential, your, your passport number, uh, or your biometrics, your fingerprints, on your identity, signed by the police. Then you can show to each, like if the company or, or the hospital asks for your fingerprint, you can show the fingerprint provided by the border. In that aspect, the borders don't need anymore to store the fingerprint of everyone of the country anymore. Because we know if you have a huge database with so sensitive data like that, hackers some moment will leak this kind of sensitive information. But the centralizing the information with you, the only thing, oh, I lost my fingerprint, what I need to do? Put the borders, but it did it again, and then the borders, even they can charge you for doing the, the, the search again. Then they can put the, the, the fingerprint on your identity with you again. You can pay some, some custodian to do backups of your data encrypted version of backup of your data. But the centralizing things means you don't have anymore just one piece, one point of failure. You, you will mitigate this kind of problem in the future. And that's the kind of thing we are in, the kind of market we are inserted right now. And we are trying to change some rules around the world, like Brazil, like here in Europe, we are helping the regulators, we are helping uh, writing papers with associations to influence the regulators, the European Commission and regulators to build the new regulation, taking uh, taking account about this kind of thing because it will, we really believe it will be the future of the digital identity and countries, companies, everyone will use that. That's why it will be a huge market, for sure. Exactly. And, and the thing is, you are doing this by the blockchain, right? Like you're using the blockchain technology, so that helps you to be decentralized. Yeah, we are using blockchain because it, today it's the best infrastructure available for providing trust yeah. without asking a centralized entity to like stamp something. And uh, blockchain technology, we have many blockchains today, but in, in, uh, from the very beginning, blockchains are a very good time-stamping machines. They are good for doing that. And one time the information is registered over there, it's hard to change that information. It's almost impossible. It's impractical. Like, almost impossible changing an information you stored on a blockchain. And it's time-stamped. And for storing the information over there, you need to use private keys, cryptography, strong cryptography. Then having a digital identity and like signing a document. Today we have here in, in Europe, we have EIDA. Uh -huh. EIDA, uh, they are a regulation about the electronic signatures and identity. And we have the other, other, sorry, it's about identity and we have other I don't remember the name, but for digital signatures or electronic signatures. Then, when instead of having a document, we sign it like we are signing a, a contract right now. We both of us, of us. Then I sign. Then I need to send that document to Ucha, who will sign. At this moment, we will have two versions of the, the same document. One of 
with my signature and another one with the Ucha, Ucha signature. Then we need to hardly sign in to get the refers. If I send the document, uh, like if I send document to, to Hardy and he signs, we will have three versions of the document, but without all the signatures in the same document. We need to manage that thing all the time when we are talking about the, the traditional model for digital signatures. Because the traditional, traditional is using ink on paper. It's very old. And we have countries like Brazil, we use that all the time. That's why we need to go to notaries all the time to get a stamp on top of each signature on a document. But even on digital, today we have some hassle to manage, like different versions of documents uh, running between people. When we are talking about blockchain, blockchain uh, it's decentralized, but it's a way, it's a place where all the signatures are being put together. So if I sign and then which sign, the same place will have the both signatures and they are authenticated with yeah. our digital identity. So just Ucha could do that signature and just I could do my signature over there. And when Hard does his signature, it will be stored together with the document with, on a smart contract over there who is waiting for his signature. And when he signs the thing, the smart contract on blockchain can start the next process. Like if, if the, uh, the system is waiting for our, for both of our signatures over there, when it, it's completed, it can start this, the next process automatically. Because blockchains are supposed to run the, the smart contracts and do the things by themselves. And that's why to us, blockchain and digital identity, they are very, very, uh, like, close. Exactly, yeah. It's, it, makes, it makes everything more efficient. Uh, and, yeah, it cuts out all the hustle and it's just, yeah, it's great. But uh, I think it's very interesting to know uh, how did you start working on this? Like, how, how did you come up with this idea and how did you encounter this blockchain technology in the first place? Well, my, my first my first contact with blockchain was in 2011. Uh, I was I, I had another company. I, I had many companies, many businesses before, and at that time we had a company for managing uh, a software for nightclubs, pubs, restaurants, uh, night entertainment in general. And I I I was at that time I was the CTO of the company, CIO, CTO. And I was the lead, uh, I was like developing drivers for touch screens. And I, so I, I had a, a hardware lab on my own over there in my office. And then someone told me, or not someone, someone, so, well, someone on a, a list, on a public email list of uh, a group, a group, group list. They, they sent a message, oh, do you see something about Bitcoin? Because it's a new currency in, on the internet and it could, can't be duplicated. No, man, it's impossible. Everything who goes to the internet can be duplicated. Exactly. The yeah. Videos, you know, <laughs> studios, audio, everything. Especially, especially in 2011, everything was duplicated back then. 
Um, yeah, everything was being duplicated, and uh, they thought they were crazy at that time because of the uh, piracy uh, of videos and movies and yeah. everything. And in my mind, oh man, sorry, they tried to do currencies before, and it's digital. Everything that's digital can be copied. I, I was very uh, skeptical at that time, totally, a hundred percent. But my background is security information, infosec or cybersecurity. Then, uh, yeah, I was skeptical. Then I needed to understand what was that kind, that, that, that thing they told me that could not be duplicated on the internet. Then I started studying uh, Bitcoin. And as I had a, uh, a hardware lab you know, in my office, I started to understand through mining, mining Bitcoin on GPUs because at the time it was the very beginning, it was possible to to mine Bitcoin on using GPUs yet. And then after one month, my, my, my partners, they came to me and said, man, what are you doing in this office? Look at this bill. I'm crazy. What are you doing? And how to explain, I was, I was <laughs> mining Bitcoin inside the office using all the machines I had available over there. So, and they said, oh my God, it was crazy. Then I stopped it. Yeah, but I understand. It's very expensive, right? Very expensive. Very expensive. I, I like. I had probably fifteen to twenty machines running, and wow. it was like I was playing to understand the thing. Wow. But yeah, yeah. You know, was yeah. yeah, it was a kind of expensive game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were they were angry. And then, and, and then I stopped it for sure. But Bitcoin at that time, it was costing like 10, 11 cents of dollar, like nothing. And I mined not so much Bitcoin. And it was not like, oh, I will do that forever. And I could not. The electricity in Brazil is pretty expensive, pretty expensive. Then I stopped it and I used the distributed computing for uh, like for science, I, I I was helping some platform named Boink when we can use our processing uh, power of our computer to help on science, like uh, clean water, uh, sustainable energy, and even for diseases, cancer, and a lot of things. Then I used the machine to help science again. It was making more sense at, at the time, making more sense at the time. Then it was 2011. 2012, I, I was not in crypto, uh, doing nothing. In 2013, I did an exit in that company. And then I started a new business about uh, elderly people. I built a gadget for detecting elderly falls in 2013. And at that moment, I was trying to validate the market, finding investors to build the hardware in Brazil. Bitcoin went from $100 to $1,200. Like it was a big pump yeah. in the beginning of the year. And uh, I, I was crazy because I, I was talking to people, man, I was looking for Bitcoin to understand that. So, yes, I understand a little, but I, I missed that. 2012, from 10, 10 cents of dollar to 100. I was not looking into Bitcoin at the time. I was not 
I thought these are lies. I, I, I was not into that. Of course, you couldn't even then imagine that it would happen. How sorry? Nobody could even imagine that it would happen. So. No, no, nobody, nobody, nobody. It was well in, in the beginning of the year, from 2012 to 2013. In 2012, appeared the first machine dedicated to for Bitcoin mining. Mm-hmm. That's why we had the first pump on Bitcoin because people started to mine uh, professionally yeah. in industrial scale, like having buildings just for mining Bitcoin. And that's why we had the first pump on the price. The second one, uh, well, it reached, it was like $100. Then it came to a thousand two hundred because of new exchanges coming to the market and people started to speculate more about the price of Bitcoin on more professional. I, I say professional, but they did a big scam in the market. That that's why the first crash of the market in 2013. Like Mount Gox, they came to the market, people started to trade Bitcoin more often because it was easy to trade Bitcoin. Uh, and people, more people mining, more people trading. The price of Bitcoin, like we have, we had this spike to uh, uh, more than a thousand. Then in the end of the year, they scammed the market. They say they were hacked, and well, they are being sued in Japan. The, the things are well. And then the big crash in 2013, in the end of the year. But at that moment, I was looking into Bitcoin again, but. As my previous company, I was managing uh, the revenue of the United Entertainment. Managing money was a thing I was not interested to do because I know the hassle is managing others' money. Everything can, like, you can have any, any kind of issues, and you have a lot of liability when you are managing and storing and. Uh, Managing other money. Then um, I was looking into the infrastructure and trying to find some use case for using the infrastructure of Bitcoin because, well, the money, the Bitcoin per se, probably is the biggest invention of this century. I really believe in that. It's transforming, and because of Bitcoin, a lot of other disruptions are happening on blockchain fields. And the infrastructure for that, that thing. Like running uh, and working, it's amazing the trust they can build on a decentralized and distributed way. Then, in the end of 2014, I found the first use case that made sense in my mind. I saw the University of Nicosia in Chipre. They authenticated the graduation certificates on an university very manually at that time, but using Bitcoin blockchain because it's was available. Yeah. Just Bitcoin was available for doing that. When I saw that, then I went crazy because as a cybersecurity guy, I saw a real cybersecurity authentication use case happening without the crypto, uh, the, the money, the currency, sphere. And to me, it was amazing. Then, uh, because of Brazil, as I'm, I'm Brazilian, we know everything about bureaucracy over there. Well, we have almost 15,000 notaries in the country. 
As I said, you need to go to notaries all the time to stamp documents. If you, in that case, I, I use the example, we, we were signing together a document digitally. But if we sign that document manually with a pen, we need to go to each notary where each signature is registered to get a stamp on top of each signature. So if we were living in different states, then possible and, and very costly. Yeah, it costs and a lot. It's hustle, it's headache, it's everything. But <laughs> and it's not standard, right? The cost is not standard. It depends on the person to person, right? Depends, depends. It's not the standard. The states, they can define the, the price list for the yeah. state over there. It's not yeah. standard. And, and, and the cost also depends on how urgent is it for you to get the stamp on the certificate. Right. Oh, and there's something very interesting about that. If the document we are signing together and we are uh, registering the contract, they get uh, a fee of the the values they find in the contract in the document. So it's not just the 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 fee for stamping. It's not a fixed fee for stamping the thing. If we're registering a contract on a notary. They read the thing to find prices or values over there. Then we, they will charge you a percentage of the value they found oh, in the contract. Madness. Wow. It's madness. It's madness. And it's happening over there. And they think it's not bureaucracy. They think it's okay. Yeah, no, they, it's they, they, just, they, they just take it like then, that. Yeah. yeah. Man, uh, there, over there in Brazil, it's, it's happening a big transformation on notaries because of us. We started that, that thing over there. But uh, they are trying even putting more technology. They are trying just to like to get the process they already have established and put it on digital. Not, they are not reviewing the process to make it faster. No, the same, you have the same hassle, but digital. Mm -hmm. One example. I, 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 like, I had, I did some workshops on the, for the notary associations in Brazil with some other guys. And we, we told them, I told them, you are a notary. If you say this is blue, like this pen is blue, Man, for if I, I I think this pen is not blue, I need to go to the tribunal. I need to go to the court, and oh. just there they can say you were lying because you have the truth. Yeah, you have the truth, the power of the truth. For you, they have the name is public faith in Brazil. Then the name they man issue a digital identity for people and people can use that digital identity for signing documents they don't need to come back anymore because you as a notary you validated the person and the digital identity okay they did it but there's always a but yeah. it's crazy you can sign something the notaries right now they are issuing a digital identity to people. They are issuing. They started because of COVID-19. They started finally. But for signing a document with the digital signature provided by a notary, you must do through a video conference with the notary guy 
and sign in front of him, see, look through to the camera. It's like yeah. they misunderstand the whole concept then, you know, the... Because the, the goal, goal of, yeah, goal of digital identity is that it proves that you are the person. But even though they don't believe it, so they look. To <laughs> you. Yeah, I think that the main thing that they are looking on into is if you digitalize everything, they are not going to make money. The bureaucracy will go away, of course. Yeah, yeah, probably they need to review their business model. Because yeah. they are the source of the hassle. And technology, when we are thinking about disruption, we are trying to cut that hassle, that source of bureaucracy and hassle. But they need to review their, their business model. They will not disappear. I really believe they will not disappear. They are very powerful. And uh, we, Brazil, like countries like Brazil, we have a lot of poverty. In that country, we have a lot of places places without energy, electricity, or even internet and electricity in a lot of places over there. So, a not notary, they have a social role for 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 the system. But for other things, they are not needed anymore. We can have trust through technology without asking anyone anymore. And one thing we are we are playing with the term as the, the notaries they have the public space. In our case, we are creating the tech space. Like you don't need to 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 trust on a third part agent or a person. Yeah. Just believe in the protocol because cryptography don't lie and math don't lie. So it's, you can believe in the protocol. It's impossible to break that thing. Because if it was possible to break, Bitcoin has a lot of, it's a big reward for who can break the Bitcoin cryptography. They can be very well rewarded. If you are a hacker and you can break the thing, man, you can be rich. And it was not broken because it's almost impossible. It's a very strong cryptography. And even when people say about, uh, oh, but quantum computing, they can break cryptography. The future is different, uh, different explanation for it. It's a, it's really a huge topic to getting and very interesting to discuss. Uh, but let's come back to our story. Um, we are also very interested to know, uh, about your story regarding Estonia. Like, how, how did you end? You were doing all these things that you told us in Brazil, right? But at some point, yeah. I remember it was 2018, uh, you decided to come to Estonia. So why and how yes. did it happen? Well, uh, why Estonia? In 2017, we launched our app for digital identity in the United States. Then we started to run a fundraising campaign in Brazil. And it was impossible to raise over there. The, we started with VC, the, the traditional VC. And at that time, they were telling us, Man, I don't have like blockchain on our thesis. Uh, I can't, uh, I can't invest on blockchain companies. Or uh, I don't understand what you are doing. I really don't understand that. Or uh, other, other funds, they told us, we, you are, you are a global company. We don't invest on global companies. I heard that and, and it 
hurt the media a lot because man, it doesn't make sense. We don't get some global companies. Oh, <laughs> okay. Then we tried uh, the first Brazilian ICO. We started to plan and to organize the first ICO in Brazil. ICO, uh, who don't know about that, is a way for fundraising, like a crowdfunding in the crypto space using cryptocurrencies. So you prepare, uh, you prepare a white, a white paper about your project. You uh, show the project to many people and people will contribute with the, with cryptocurrencies to fund you. Then when you are, uh, when your project is ready, they will use that cryptocurrency on your project. So it's a very, well, makes a lot of sense for crypto companies, for companies on blockchain field doing that because VCs don't understand. They don't understand. They are very traditional. They are slower. And people who are, uh, from, are in crypto space, they are more early adopters. They understand faster. They are in that field. Then we started to prepare, but not doing like some startups they did on uh, uh, stealth mode ICO, like not showing they were doing something. Uh, we were doing, and in Brazil, we are the main company on blockchain field. Like in, in, in last year, Cointelegraph, one of the biggest media about cryptocurrencies, they elected me as the, the main person, the main personality in Brazil about cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Because I talked to the government, I talked to regulators, I talked to the institutions, I built the first blockchain academy in Brazil. We did like workshops in the central bank and all the regulators with, with that school. So people learn in Brazil about blockchain because of original Maya and because of me. Then even with that, all the spots were on us. And it, we could not hide our ICO in Brazil. Then 10 days before the ICO being launched, they sent some official letters asking a lot of hard questions to answer back. And uh, I needed a lawyer for, for answer. It was pretty expensive, a lawyer from the financial system, from financial era, to, because the, the regulator was the CVM. They are like SEC on the United States. It's also related to securities, but they have the power to be a pain on your ass if they want. Then they started to send some official letters. They didn't, uh, we answered. Then they sent others. They did answer back like, oh, is it okay to launch? They didn't answer, never. And then in the end of the year, it was like six months, answering letters and we had the problems with uh, traditional institutions like notaries. They were going to the events I, wa I, wa I was speaking and doing some suggestions like you can't do that, you can't say that, you can't explain those kinds of things and other bad things happened after. In the end of the year, the lawyers told us, man, Brazil is not for you, you need to leave. You need to leave for your safety and for your company. Then, okay, the environment was tough over, over there. It was hard. Then we did a research. We crossed a matrix with regulatory environment, taxes, costs, 
and future strategy for regional wines. And in that matrix, we were uh, we, we studied many many countries, many jurisdictions. Since Singapore, Hong Kong, and uh, Spain, Portugal, Finland, Sweden, Liechtenstein, and Estonia, and Switzerland, and Malta, a lot of countries. And for us, uh, Europe made a lot of sense because we had some leads uh, from Europe. So being in Europe could make sense. Then Estonia was on top of the list. Comparing in regulation, Switzerland and Estonia, they were more evolved on regulation. But the costs in Estonia, oh my God, they're pretty, pretty cheaper than, than, than Switzerland. For yeah, Switzerland, Switzerland is one of the most expensive, I think, in Europe. Nah, sorry? I think the Switzerland is one of the most expensive in Europe. Yeah, and the lawyers, they are the most expensive yeah. lawyers. It's not just the money you need to establish your company. You need to pay the lawyers for your licenses and for everything over there. And the lawyers are very expensive yeah. as well. Then, uh, well, then we, 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 we chose Estonia. Then in the beginning of the year, I came to here, I got my e-residency. I came to here, I opened the company locally. And then I returned to Brazil. I did some travel to Estonia and to Europe. We, we did some events in 2018, mainly to understand the, like the market. Where are the investors? What kind of investors they have in Estonia and in the, the neighbor countries and everything about that. Then we decided in the end of the year to move myself to Estonia. Then I moved in the end of the year, and I'm living here since the December of 2018. It's great, and you're... My wife arrived 15 days ago, so I'm very happy, because <laughs> I could manage bring her to live with me right now. That's amazing. So That's for, this, for these two years, you were managing your team in Brazil, basically, remotely. And you were living in Estonia, but running your business in Brazil. Yeah, I was like this, the remote CEO. A lot of people, they told me, man, you need to be with your team. Why? But our culture, they are very well defined. Yeah. And uh, we, we participated for two years, 2017 and 18, on a Google, Google for Startups residency program. And one thing we learned in that program was about culture and the people uh, who, people surrounding you the most important assets you have in your company. And it was hard to build a good team because it is hard. Team building is one of the biggest challenges of for course, founders. Of course. All the time. And, but I have a very good team. They understand. And because of my vision, man, I hate going to meetings in person <laughs> because it doesn't make sense. São Paulo, for having an idea, if you need to, it's like a travel. If you need to move from one neighbor to another, sometimes it's 14 minutes, 15 minutes, one hour. From, for, for going from my home to the office, it was like every day, at least one hour. We, sometimes we got two or three hours just for going from my home to the office and from, 
coming back from the office to, to the home, just guess how many kilometers of distance. Just guess. I don't know. 10? 10? 14. Almost 15 kilometers. Oh, it's... Then it was close. It was pretty close. Then it, it's crazy because of the traffic over there. And moving to go to meetings, like you can do two meetings a day. Because you go to the first one, do the first meeting during the morning, and another one during the, the day, uh, during the afternoon. Or you can make some, some lunch with someone. Yeah, exactly. And then, the then, room. then your energy is lower and you feel a bit tired because of like this travel and things like that. And you did nothing. In the end of the day, you did nothing. Now you just told Yeah. And then, then uh, I was uh, with my team since the beginning. I was trying to, because it's a thing I do all the time and my wife is my partner and she's very good in, on that uh, as well. Trying to fixing processes to optimize everything we can to be better, to improve our performance. So if you are not spending time in meetings that could be solved through an email, we don't do that meeting anymore. If you don't need to move to do something, we don't move. We can do like we are doing through a, a video conference, uh, recording the pod podcast. And that's my vision because we do a lot of things as founders and working in different time zones because today I'm working with US, Brazil, here in Europe and Asia. It's like the whole so world. I'm talking to a lot of people. It's crazy. And it's crazy. We need to optimize our, our day and our time all the time. And uh, then... Running as a, a remote CEO was a, a, a very good proof of concept. Like, every startup can do that. You don't need to be together all the time. Sometimes it is very important. I really believe in that. But in, in, our, in our case, what we did, and it's working right now, because, because of COVID-19, all the team, they, we closed the office in Sao Paulo. So everyone is working from their homes right now. They are remote. All the team is remote. We have uh, our, our daily. Uh, so on Scrum, all the startups they do Scrum and they do daily. But in our case, our daily is with the whole team, the entire team together. In our case, it's very important. Uh, like we are working with blockchain, we really believe in transparency, and on our team, everyone must know what everyone is doing. It's very important because the commitment comes if you, you really know what the next one is doing and how your thing will help the rest of the company. So there's no like black boxes or shadow places. We, uh, the company knows about everything. E everyone knows about everything all the time. And it's very important to us. And using that thing as a value of the company, we, we are working better. It's more transparent. Our performance was improved. COVID-19 improved the performance of my team. Because right now, everyone is working remotely and they understand about the importance of talking and being clear 
and being transparent about everything. Exactly. And it's like uh, everybody's on the same page now and uh, the company moves faster that way. Yeah. To the same place. To the same place. Yeah. But our next question is more about... Um, we want to know about your everyday life in Estonia and uh, comment a little bit about Lift 99. You are working from there. Yeah, my, my daily life over here, well, I work all the time. Uh-huh. I just leave Lift 99 to go home to sleep. And uh, sometimes very late, late night. And as I said, I'm working with many time zones. And I come to here 9 a.m. I don't know the time I will leave. And uh, it, it happens more often than I like. And some, sometimes my team, I'm answering some message like 3 a.m. I'm here in Midnight 9 yet, and my team over there, man, go home, please, <laughs> go to sleep. But I'm, I'm working in this craze, like, uh, like my habits, like crazy daily thing for a long time. And I don't know, my, my body is very used to, I, I don't know. Uh, I do my exercise. I, I practice yoga and meditation. For me, it's very important. Like today, I did my, my meditation. Uh, yesterday, the day before. Sometimes I, I went out for running. I like a lot uh, running. Here in Estonia, I found a, a place for climbing. I was a climber and participated uh, in some, some competitions. I was winning in competitions of climbing in Brazil. And uh, I, was, I, was, I, I am not climbing as I would like to do, but probably I will improve that, that aspect. But I will always do my, my exercise. My, my mind exercises through meditation and yoga, and my body exercises through yoga and running. And I think it helps a lot. That's why I'm not, I, I hadn't, I don't know, probably I had, I had no burnout yet. And I probably, I will not have. I hope so. Sometimes I am that edgy. We know I'm, I will explode at some point. Then I come back. I try to, to calm down my step, do my meditation more often. Then I, I I arrange the things to work again. But uh, yeah, I, I work a lot as a crazy guy all the time. I'm always working over here. Uh, but the thing is, I'm having fun. Yeah, I think it's the most important thing. You I, I, you enjoy like, I what you do. I'm on a mission and working in this mission and uh, yeah. and having fun together. That's great. I have a question. Do you have a plan? to get your entire team to Estonia from Brazil, if tomorrow you happen to have an office in Estonia? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think about returning to Brazil and having an office in Brazil anymore. Mm-hmm. If I can, probably I will be here forever. That's my plan for the future. I don't have plans for leaving Estonia or going to other countries. Um, I I had some some uh, propositions, some opportunities in other places like Middle East and Japan, 
they already said, oh, if you want to come to here as a company, we will need to establish the company over here, and probably one of your one person of your team will need to be here together with us for some time until we understand everything. But you need to establish your office locally to have a company in countries like Japan or Dubai, for example, because we are we are talking to people over there. But man, I really think in training someone to be there <laughs> and doing the things in behalf of me because I like this. Like I don't know, it's just about the culture. But I'm not like a person who likes crowded places. São Paulo is very crowded. You have entertainment all the time if you want. I like that, but not so much. I was not like. I was living there, and I was not happy. Things working better that's, right now. That's great. I don't know. That's great. Correct, but <laughs> nice. But speaking yeah. about this that you love, and what's the thing that you hate about this country? Well, the, the digital governance is amazing, mm-hmm. and uh, probably the thing I, I, I love most over here is that everything is digital. Like nine nine percent of the services, the government services are digital. And you don't need to go to another to do anything. Comparing to the country I came, man, it's, it's here, it's like the heaven of the, the governance. And I can learn with that. I can implement my things and I can deliver back to third countries like we are doing in Central America, Africa, and Brazil and other countries. So it's, it's a good school. Estonia is a very, very good school to us. The worst thing over here, people people ask me about the weather. I love the weather. I don't know. I just love the weather. I don't like that hot place like uh, the offices I had before. And uh, I love I love the weather. Maybe the culture in the sense of uh, people are more distant yeah. each other, not because of COVID nineteen. They are distant anyways. They don't. They don't care about COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't care about COVID nineteen because it's natural. <laughs> like yeah. it's a common thing they do. They are <laughs> the, the social distance is very regular. It's very common to them. And uh, it's it's strange here in these nine nine. People are more open because it's an international place. Like it's a hub. People from every. For every place from, from the world, they are here and different people. So mixing uh, cultures, they are more open over here. So I know Live 99 is a bubble and outside is not like, like this. And outside is the real, the, the real life in Estonia. They are more, they are not cold, but they are more distant. Distant, yeah. And man, I'm, I'm Brazilian. I, I, yeah, hot blood and different, different for me. Probably the, the only thing, it's not the worst thing. And it embarrasses me all the time. She does all the time, the thing. Nice. That's great. Yeah. All right. Um, to sum it all up, you know our last question is always the same. Um, what would be your advice to all the up and coming entrepreneurs who want to start their business and have the dream in their head and don't know how to do it? Um, 
What will be I'm your sorry. answer? We can have another podcast just for talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of advice for people. A lot, <laughs> lot of advice. Probably for, uh, for everyone who wants to go on entrepreneurship. First of thing, it's hard. It's not easy. And it's hard because you need to challenge your skills all the time. You need to learn a lot of things that you are not used to. You will need to do a lot of things you don't want to do because you are a founder, you are an entrepreneur. So you need to adapt to that. And the other thing is validate. Validate everything all the time. Because the most expensive thing you can have as a founder, as an entrepreneur, is launching something not enough validated. It will be expensive to, to pivot or to fix or adapt the thing. And validating is the cheapest way for building anything. So adapt, be used to do, to learn, to study, and validate. If you have an hypothesis, hypothesis validate it a lot. Test, get the answers, apply back, validate again. As fast as, uh, as fast as you can do that, better will be your product. And our, and the last thing is our, our, always think about your customer. You are not building something for you. You are building something to solve a problem to someone. Sometimes your problem is shared by a lot of people, but a lot of times the problem you are trying to solve means something just for you. Your problem must have meaning to other people. So study, be used to study and adapt because you, you, you will do things you don't like to do. Validate a lot and build something, think every time on your customer. Yeah, adapt, validate and listen to your customers. All right. Um, thank you very much. I think once again, it was very interesting interview this time as a podcast. Um, thank you for being our guest. I want to wish you everything best from the new year, uh, in your uh, original Mai and also in your life and your career. Thank you everybody for listening. This was Startup Adventures. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode. Ta-da!